Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Jesse Cole. Jesse, welcome to the show. Uh, Excited to be here. Excited to have you. Uh, Jesse is the owner of Fans First Entertainment, who, who owns and operates the Savannah Bananas, and the Gastonia Grizzlies, their college summer baseball league teams. And we'll chat about that, obviously. Uh, Jesse and his teams have been featured on MSNBC, on CNN, and multiple times on ESPN. Uh, Cole is an in-demand speaker and the author of the newly released book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. And we'll get to the tux part, the yellow tux part in a moment. The Savannah Bananas have sold out 32 straight games. That is a lot in that league. They don't play that many games, so it is a tremendous success. And they have a waiting list in the thousands for tickets for this upcoming 2018 season. Uh, The Bananas have won Organization of the Year, Back-to-Back Years, Entrepreneur of the Year, and were CPL champions in their first year. CPL is the league that they play in. Uh, Jesse believes uh, to be successful – You need to stand out and be different. He writes a blog, hosts a podcast, and releases daily videos on findyouryellowtux.com. He's passionate about creating attention, loving your customers more than your product, and more importantly, loving your employees more than your customers. Cole's mantra is, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Jesse lives in Savannah, Georgia with his family. And today we're going to chat about his interesting journey to where he is today, how he find how he found and tapped into this incredible excitement that he has about what he does today, and tips and advice for us as small business owners on how to stand out and get noticed, which we we all struggle with how to differentiate our small businesses. So once again, Jesse Cole, welcome to the show. Henry, I think you've covered it all, so I think we're good. <laughs> we're good. Go. Good to meet you. <laughs> Goodbye. Right, a minimum, you got to tell us about the yellow tux because, of course, we're you know people can only listen, and if they don't go to the website or your website, they can't imagine this yellow tux that you wear all the time. <laughs> yes, I own a yellow tuxedo. It's not just one; I actually own six yellow tuxedos at this point. I proposed to my wife in the middle of a game and a sold out crowd in the yellow tux. Oh Thank my. goodness she said yes. And uh, I've slept in the yellow tux has become part of my life. But in a big picture scheme, it represents the fact that we look at baseball dramatically different than most. We look at it as a show. And uh, PT Barnum's one of my biggest uh, mentors. And literally, you know, he was always dressed up, ready to put on a show. And I've kind of embodied that with our team. And that's what it is. It's about entertainment. It's about a show. And for us, we know what business we're really in. And it's not the baseball business. It's the entertainment business. So that's why the yellow tuxedo uh, fits me and what I'm doing and, you know, kind of fits our whole theme of our business. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And I think it, again, it translates so well to any other type of small business that entertainment, or you, we might put it often as the customer experience that we create, but, but a lot of it translates, I think, Jesse. Oh, 100%. And that's what my book, Find Your Yellow Tux, is about. You know, it's what is that one thing that you can be the best at? What is it that, that makes you stand out in either you or your business? And I've been able to work with a lot of businesses and try to find ways for them to stand out and create attention and really, you know, focus on that customer experience. I think so many companies get into maintenance mode where they're just constantly trying to, you know, have incremental gains. But we focus on big splashes and really creating that wow factor. And uh, we've been very fortunate. It's been very successful. Yeah, I love that. 
All right, so let's go back a little bit. I believe you studied humanities and leadership in college. Tell me about what you were thinking then and what you wanted to be when you grew up. <laughs> you know, one of my biggest mentors as well is Bill Veck, the famous baseball owner who actually had a midget come to bat in a major league game, gave away 12. <laughs> he gave away 12 live lobsters to a fan during a game. He broke all the rules. And uh, one of his quotes, it says, I don't break the rules, but I merely test their elasticity. And I think I've done that my, my whole life. And when you bring back my major, it's funny, I don't even think about the humanities major because it wasn't even really offered. At college, I went to Wofford College, a small uh, D1 school in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I went there to play baseball and I literally didn't want to take any of the normal majors. You know, taking business econ, it was all about taking calculus and macroeconomics, which I was like, why do I need to take calculus to learn about <laughs> business? So I developed my own major and started studying leadership and leadership and coaching and leadership and government and really uh, developed my own thing. And kind of I'm doing that ever since. You know, I played baseball back and then I tore my shoulder and that ended my baseball career. And ever since then, I've really been trying to create my own path. And it's turned out to be pretty successful. And more than anything, Henry, just a lot of fun. You know, I don't like playing by the rules, the nine to five. You know, I like kind of doing my own thing. And we failed a lot along the way. But I'll tell you, it's created some great stories. <laughs> Have you always had this enthusiasm and attitude? I, I got to think, for example, when the baseball career came to an end, there has to have been a low, a low point there. Oh. Has this always been your personality? You know, I've always been, I was an only child, surprisingly, always still fighting for attention and fighting to connect with people. So I've always been, had that in my, myself, my personality. Um, but when I first found out that my baseball career was over, now I played my whole life. My whole goal was to play professional baseball. That's all I did. And uh, I had the chance. I was talking to professional teams in college, and then I tore everything on my shoulder. And part of my capstone project for the humanities major and leadership major was to film myself throughout this process. And I remember mm -hmm. turning the camera and saying that I'll never play baseball again. And it was one of the toughest moments I ever went through because I worked on it my whole life. And so for about two, three months, I was lost. I didn't know what I was going to want to do. And I thought about getting into coaching. And that was when I had the real aha moment, a mirror moment, as I call it in the book. I sat there watching baseball and I realized I was completely and utterly bored. And that there's a huge difference between playing baseball and watching baseball. And at that moment, I realized we needed to change the game of baseball and make it more fun. And so from that point on, I really started having the enthusiasm, the energy, because I was building something different and not just building the typical thing that everyone else does. Mm -hmm. Now, the fans' first entertainment didn't come around to the 2011. The, the teams that we'll get to in a moment didn't start till 2014. So just briefly tell me about what you were doing with yourself after college and before you found what you're doing now. So right out of college, I uh, got a job crazily. I was an intern for two months for a, the lowest level of baseball a team in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I got offered the job as general manager of this team in Gastonia, North Carolina. So at 23 years old, I became the GM of a team. I don't know what the owner was thinking. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> and I showed up that first day and I realized what he was thinking. The team couldn't get much worse than where it was. <laughs> Literally, there was only 200 fans coming to the games previously. Mm. The team had lost over $100,000 a year, and mm. there was only $268 in the bank account that first day. And we had three employees, and payroll was on Friday. <laughs> so that was my first day, and I realized at that point, we really had to dramatically turn around this team and make it not just about baseball. So that's where I started, just at 23 years old, with really the worst performing team in the country in a small town in Gastonia, North Carolina. Amazing. All right. So, so fans first, tell yes. me about that starting and what that business was about. 
So that's been the whole change. You know, really the first few years, we just tried crazy things. To put it in perspective, we had grandma beauty pageants at the ballpark. Our players did choreographed dances during the games. I went in the dunk tank as the GM. I mean, we were pieing fans during the crowd. I mean, during the game, it was just all about the circus mentality. So all of a sudden people started talking about it. We created attention. Um, but I was so focused on growth and the team was growing 500 fans, a thousand fans, up to 2000 fans. But I realized it was, it was solely about the growth and the revenue and the attendance. And it wasn't really about our people. And we made this change to become fans first entertainment because we had an aha moment. And it said, you know what? Most companies, what they focus on is the product. They don't focus on the people. And so we changed our whole mentality to be about customers and the fans. But here's the secret, Henry, the fans first, it's actually our own employees because they are our biggest fans are the biggest fans of the team. So we put all our energy focusing on taking care of our people and creating that mentality. And then all of a sudden that creates that perfect experience for the customers. And I can share some of the things we've done, but we really look and we map the journey from when the first customer, when they see us on our website, to the time they come to our ballpark, to the time they leave. And then in between all that, we're constantly caring for our people and our employees. So it's been a crazy journey, but that's why we've literally been able to sell out every single game um, because of this whole mentality. Now, that team that you were working for as the as the GM, was that the Grizzlies or was this another team? Yes, that was the Grizzlies. So uh, I went and bought it in 2014. Everyone asked, how do you buy a team? You know, when you're young, I go, you take on hundreds and thousands of dollars and potentially <laughs> millions of dollars of debt. It's very easy. As someone who's in business like yourself knows, <laughs> you don't just go ahead and buy it. Um, so we took on all that debt, bought the Grizzlies. And then two years later, we had the opportunity to come to Savannah, Georgia and uh, take over a team in a stadium that used to have professional baseball. So they had professional mm-hmm. baseball for 90 years. And we came in as this low level college summer team and had to really turn the whole perception of the community uh, around. And w- we did after a long struggle. And you know, I can share, you know, my, my wife and I had to sell our house. We had to empty out our savings account. We were living on an airbed. I mean, it got really, really tough. But that's when we learned, learned the biggest lessons. That's that's when you decided to take to buy the Savannah bananas or was that you started the savannah bananas right or were they already existing yeah we came to, we, yeah it's just two years ago i mean we came to savannah on october uh, 5th 2015 and literally we showed up that first day and the phone lines were cut the internet lines were cut there was no office so we had a picnic table and tied it in, in an old storage building it was my wife and i and four uh, millennials, people right out of college that said, we believe in you guys, we're going to do it. And we literally for months tried to get the community to buy into what we were doing about, you know, baseball being more like entertainment and no one believed in us. I mean, there was, we sold one season ticket mm-hmm. in the first two wow. months. There was no, re- no revenue, nothing. And it got to a point in January that I got a phone call on Friday evening at 445 and we had overdrafted our account and we had no money left. And it was that point, my wife and I, we decided we had to sell our house and empty out our savings account and go all in to save the Savannah team. And uh, that was just two years ago in January. And so we went all in and everything changed from there. But going back to the Grizzlies, when you bought that, you mentioned you you got financing. Were you able to get that financing? Was the stadium and the land part of it? Or what was it that uh, got you the financing? Meaning, no, this- go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, basically, in the, in the way it works in, in almost all ballparks and arenas, they're owned by the city. Okay. So the city owned it. So we were just buying the team and buying uh, the assets, you know, basically the success that we had built is what we were buying. So um, I was fortunate to do owner financing with the previous owner okay. uh, and take on a serious amount of debt. That, that's what happened back in 2014. Yeah, that makes more sense. And that's it. And then did, did you have a, a good chunk of cash by that point to put in or was it 100% <laughs> no, finance? Zero. zero. That's what I figured. Did you bring in investors or you just, you were able to take a, a, he was able to finance the entire thing or tell me about that. 
he was he was amazing and one of the another great mentor. Um, he just financed the whole thing because he knew we built it from a team losing hundreds of thousands of dollars to growing and successful. So he financed the whole thing, took on a ton of debt, and just started making payments, you know, annually on that. Yeah. So and the same thing coming to Savannah, we took on another huge amount of debt to buy the expansion franchise. Why? Why did? What do you think you believed in this so much that you were willing to sacrifice then your personal finances, selling your house, all of that? What, why do you think that is? Why did you do that? To go all in, you have to have an unbelievable amount of belief. And our, our belief came in the fact that we saw what happened in Gastonia. We saw an old ballpark that was in the 50s and 4,000 people showing up. We were getting hugs when people left the stadium and say, I've never had so much more much, much fun. You know, we literally had a gentleman, I'll never forget, uh, a big gentleman come up to me after a game and he gave me this huge hug and he said, my mother and I haven't talked for years, but she came out to mm. a game and she said it was the most fun she's ever had watching the players dance, watching everything. She comes to every game and now my, my mother and I sit together at every game and you've brought our relationship back together. And I was like, no, I didn't do that. I was on you, Todd. But what he said, he said, this is what these games are all about. And so I saw it and I was able to feel it every day, the impact that not just a baseball game, the opportunity to bring people together. And so for us, the biggest influence for me has been Simon Sinek. You know, obviously that great video, how great leaders inspire action. It's not what you do. It's not how you do it, it's why you do it and we were driven by that every day we would see these fans first moments that people say we're seeing something we've never seen before you know we're bringing our family together and i have numerous stories that we share with our staff on that but when i saw that i knew that if we could just get people to believe see what we're doing and create some attention then all of a sudden this would be successful. So it was a leap of faith, a huge one. My wife and I was our first year of marriage. And so we had this airbed. There were cockroaches at the place we were staying at afterwards. I mean, it was it was bad. But, you know, we had this leap of faith of what we were doing. And you know what? I'm so glad we went through that because it brought our, all of our staff together. And I've never seen a culture like what we have now. And that, that, I believe, is the biggest reason for our success now. Yeah, that's wonderful. And of course, it's huge that your wife was on your site. She was as bought in as you were, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, or, or was she? Or was she? Maybe she just thought you were crazy, but I love them anyway. Oh, so. she, she and everyone thinks I'm crazy. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no <laughs> questioning that, Henry. Uh, I think the reality is what my wife was able to, you know, we got into this business together. She was our director of fun when she first started in, in the team. And, and, and that was her position. And she saw what we were doing. And, uh, you know, I think every great success has someone behind supporting them. And she's there every step of the way. So I was very lucky to have her say, you know what? I will live on an airbed. I will sacrifice. I will live on $30 a week trying to eat food, which is not even real food. I'm not even talking about Hot Pockets. I'm talking about that fake stuff at Walmart. That's what we were doing. Uh, but she believed in it and she believed in me, which was really nice. Yeah, that's huge. A great story. Thanks for sharing those details. When you talk to now other types of business owners and you're speaking opportunities and engaging with other businesses, you know, I'm sure they look at you. Yeah, but that's, but that's a fun thing. It's a baseball game. I can see where you do that. How have you seen some of the ways that you've helped other normal businesses inject some of that fun and that passion and that enthusiasm so that like you do, you attract people who want to be there and they create that experience? What are some of those examples where you've been able to help other business owners or provide some guidance to other business owners on that? Yeah, 100%. Well, the first point I always talk to any company is I say it's called a mirror moment. And what I say is, you know, what frustrates you about the business? What frustrates you about the industry? What frustrates your customers? I think people don't think of from that way as a starting point of innovation. You know, what I realized with our business that people were frustrated by how baseball was long, slow and boring, and it needed to be faster, it needed to be entertaining. So I start the, the process by them looking at that. And I start every speech kind of sharing the mirror moments. And when I worked with some companies, I mean, to give you a great example, uh, I was working with or talking with a company, uh, a construction company, a home builder, and they literally just go through the process and 
you know, you buy a house and this is a huge house, a huge expenditure in your life and you buy it. And they're like, how can we make the entire experience wow them from the beginning? And what would create that perfect experience for the customers? And so they started crafting all this amazing thing. Like when you first buy the house, they have, they send you a video with them all celebrating, having this huge signing party with champagne. Then they send you a gift with an iPad and a Yeti cooler and all these things. Then they start sending drone footage of your house being built. They've even taken people to have dinner in their home before it's even built to have a private dinner with their favorite food. And then finally, they have a ribbon cutting with a red carpet. And, and when you buy your house, when you finally close on your house and they have a celebration with champagne and, you know, no other home builders are doing that. And I think most people think they, they try to do what everyone else is doing. So I always say whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And better isn't different, only is different. So think about what can you do in that experience to be different. And, and that's really it. I, I talk about how to create attention. You know, what we've done as far as uh, all these different things, as far as videos, timely events, you know, there's a few, uh, you know, criteria we use with that, but mostly it's the customer experience. It's that fan first experience. And that's where people jump on and really start putting it into their business. That's fantastic. That's a tremendous example. And, and I love, uh, um, what <laughs> better isn't different. Sorry, I stumbled there. Better isn't different. Only is different. That's a huge takeaway there. We struggle as small business owners and we often get into businesses where it's a me too. And we think we'll be slightly better, but that's what you're saying is that's not enough. Um, and so a mirror moment in this context is about putting yourself in the shoes of your customer or your clients mm -hmm. and seeing how you can create only kind of moments, unique moments for them. Is that, that get that right? Yeah, it's so easy. I mean, every day I think people get frustrated by certain businesses. You think about, you may be calling a bank and you're put on hold forever and you have to press five to get to this, nine to get to this, 11 to get to this. That is a friction point. How do you eliminate that friction point? When you go to a restaurant and no one's there to greet you or take you your seat or no one's even to thank you at the end of a restaurant experience, you know, look at all those things that people don't like that are frustrated. And it's funny because I'm this positive guy, but you actually have to go negative first to be able to create the positive. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where I start with everything. And every single business has these friction points, whatever it is, whether you're a one-on-one -on -one consultant, there's certain things that people don't like. And I think it's tough. Sometimes you might even have to ask people and say, you know, what about this process as friend to friend? Do you not like, and, and you'll get, if you get open answers, you can really start changing your business. And that's where you make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. All right. The book, which just came out, find your yellow tux, how to be successful by standing out. Why did you write this book? <laughs> I'll never forget the day I was driving in to the ballpark and this was with our team in Gastonia and I saw bumper to bumper traffic going in a different direction, going all the way into Charlotte. And I'm driving with no traffic and I'm going to work at a ballpark and literally have complete freedom in what I'm doing. And I was blown away. I was like, you know, I've been able to create my own path, loving every day, having the time of my life and creating something special to make an impact. And I got the opportunity to speak at an event in New Jersey. And they said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, you know what? I found my yellow tux. I'd love to kind of share that story. And I gave the speech. It was in front of about 200 financial uh, professionals, accountants, people in finances, people that had nothing to do with baseball, what we're doing. And I gave the speech. And at the end, I was blown away. It was a standing ovation. They said they never had more of an impact on how to really look at their life differently, look at how they can stand out in business. And at that point, the people who put on the event, like, you got to write a book. And so I, I put it together, took over a year of writing the process. And the response has been tremendous. And it's interesting, Henry, here's the crazy thing. I thought this would be for young entrepreneurs. I'm getting a bigger response from actually retired people and older entrepreneurs that say they wish they could go back and do this differently. I'm like, you still can. <laughs> Don't give up if you're retired. You know, have fun with it. So it's really, uh, I've been fortunate that's made an impact. 
And basically, it's just going to challenge the way of thinking. Don't live the nine to five. Don't feel like you're stuck. You know how to get out of that. And, uh, you know, that's where it's at. And I've been fortunate to be able to speak and share the message. The crazy guy in the yellow tuxedo. Uh, at first, people think I'm even crazy. And then at the end, they think I'm even crazier. But that's OK. <laughs> but it's inspirational. It's interesting. The the people who are retired to give you that feedback, I got to think as they look back with regret at how how they didn't enjoy the journey. It's yeah, people regret people regret the things that they haven't done. And, you know, that's the thing. You don't really regret things that you've done. You regret things you haven't done. So that's mm-hmm. why I say, everyone, just start, just do things, you know, try things. I, I think it's hilarious. Uh, Will Ferrell gave a commencement speech recently, and I, I joke about this in my speech. Um, the brilliant philosopher Will Ferrell said, keep throwing darts at the dartboard. You'll eventually hit the bullseye. And I think so many people, so many people get stuck just doing the same thing over and over and over again and hoping for different results. Try things, branch out there. I mean, Henry, you mentioned it yourself. I mean, you're doing so many things, that, that shiny object syndrome that we all have. But you know what? One of those things could turn into thing that makes more happiness and create, you know, much more of an impact than anything. So why not try it? I mean, I'm with you. The one thing is the way to go. But, I, you know, I, I say you got to try things before you know what your one thing is. All right. So let's dive in a little bit more now on some of the things you talk about in a book uh, about standing out and getting noticed, especially as we've already touched on for for the other types of small business owners that are listening who, who don't have this great entertainment product that you have. But having said that, I think one of the huge takeaways is that. That wasn't what that whole ball game literally and figuratively was all about, right? It wasn't about that. You brought that to it, even though a million people told you, no, 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 that's never been the way it's done. We've never done it that way before. That won't work in baseball, right? I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you heard that a million times. And the same thing, I think people kind of adhere to that. No, that won't work in my business. A hundred percent. I think you need to embrace criticism. People play it too safe all the time. And so when we first came out with the name, the Savannah Bananas, We were crucified. I mean, literally, I mean, we we got so many emails and messages and all over the news. The owners should be thrown out of town. You guys are an embarrassment to this city. You'll never sell a ticket. You know, you'll never last. I mean, we were and we saved all those. And which is funny, a year later, after we we sold out all our games, we did a mean tweet video. And we actually read (laughs) we read all these terrible mean mean, uh, tweets. And which is funny, our director of tickets said, Jesse, almost all of them are season ticket holders now, which is hilarious. But my point is, if, if you're not getting people talking, you have no attention. I say this, attention beats marketing 1,000% of the time. For our first four months in Savannah, we were marketing nonstop, but no one cared because we didn't have the eyes and the ears of the people. So we did something so big that we knew some people weren't going to like, but now they knew who we are. And now we could start building them into our fabric of what we mean about fans first and having fun and being crazy and different. If you don't have their attention, you have nothing. So we went big and we still continue to go big. I mean, a year ago, we offered President Obama, when he was no longer the president, an internship with our team, a literally internship <laughs> where he would be working in the concession stands, helping out, and uh, we'd get him a host family. And we did this video and it went viral. And, and we think about all those opportunities. When can we create some attention? And that's fun because that fits our brand. And uh, we, have a, we have a full-time videographer on our team. And that's very rare, especially at a college summer level, because we want to continue to share that message and share that story, how we're fun. And it's what you invest in. So we've invested in attention and we've invested in our fans' first experience. Yeah. And that's, again, that's such a huge takeaway for small business owners, because what we end up trying to do, we either get paralyzed because we don't know where to go with marketing, or we try to take the shotgun approach, which we don't have the budget for. And we forget that it's really about creating attention, delivering a good product, right? When people come to your ballpark, they have a genuine, great experience. Otherwise, otherwise the, the attention seeking would just be noise and you would get ridiculed. But this reality is when they come, they have this great experience. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be there. 
And, but and, you're and able to get so much more from attention than from traditional marketing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 100%. No. And I think the great point here, you mentioned budget. Everyone says, well, we can't do all these crazy things. I'll tell you, outthink, don't outspend. We had mm-hmm. $0, $0 living on an airbed. And we just started thinking creatively. And you know, you can think about how can you also use your assets and your resources in a different way. For instance, we trade constantly. When we had no money, we would barter. I mean, we would offer tickets and marketing and advertising. I mean, literally, we get free bananas. My, my yellow tux gets cleaned every year for free whenever I need it because we just use ways to trade and barter. Uh, you just got to be creative. And I think everyone says, I can't spend, you know, what's the budget? Do we have 10,000 to do this big event? No, just think a little outside the box and be, be you know, when you tell people what you're going to do and involve them, I mean, we had a pig uh, come to our office a couple of weeks ago, a literal, we had a pig in our office because a team named themselves the make and bacon. And we protested them and said, save the pigs, stop making bacon. And we had a pig <laughs> in our office and did a video. The pig cost nothing. The pig was, I mean, the pig's owner was happy that they were in a movie. You know, you just think outside the box and people want to be a part of the journey, especially if it's different. Yeah, I know. I love it. How do you keep Jesse sometimes from that constant fun and coming up with crazy ideas from crossing a line? There's a line somewhere. I don't know where it is because it is a business at the end of the day, right? And you got to generate a profit and you got to pay your salaries and you got to take home a profit. How do you balance that? We cross it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean to be honest, like uh, a few months ago, we came out with uh, Dolce and Banana underwear. Literally, most teams, they sell T-shirts and hats. We got tidy whities with a big banana on the crotch, and we sold that. And we did a Dolce Banana video with a person dressed up, I mean, literally taking the clothes off, showing the underwear in black and white with Italian music playing, just like the Dolce and Gabbana commercials, and put it out there. Uh, most people laughed. Some people thought we were crazy and that they wouldn't buy tickets from us. Um, but the reality reality is we tried it. We had fun with it. And now underwear is still selling. People are buying underwear because it's different. So we've crossed the line. I mean, I've stopped games in the middle of the game to shoot movies. Our fans are literally sitting there waiting and we're shooting a movie with our pitcher, our first baseman in the middle of a game. We did a Bull Durham scene. So we're definitely uh, not conventional. I mean, we have a breakdancing first base coach in the middle of the game is giving, uh, doing the moonwalk and Michael Jackson dance moves, you know, while he's giving the signs. That's breaking the rules. But that's who we are and that's our brand. So, you know, I wish it'd be easy to say to a company, don't don't do that. But, you know, we've learned from all of it. I think what our fans enjoy the fact that we're not playing it safe. That is our brand. That's who we are. So, you know, I wish I could give, say, the practical advice, you know, how do you balance that? I mean, I think anything that's dangerous, anything that's not safe, you know, obviously we don't play with, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's who we are. So we yeah. will continue to break the rules. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you there. Where, where I was more wanting to get is, how do you draw the line on the serious side of the business, which oh, okay. is that I still have to make a profit. I got to make sure my expenses are in line. I got to make sure, you know, people are safe. Not, not that, like you said, you did the underwear thing and maybe people thought that was tasteless. And so maybe you cross lines. So what, but you, but you pushed an envelope there. You pushed the border. But how do we balance the fun versus but, Yeah. But the business side of it, how do you keep that so that, that that you're running the fundamentals and making money and positioning yourself for the future. Do you understand what I'm asking there? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And we still, I mean, we have structure, accountability, and urgency we talk about. But this, the simplistic of everything is fans first. And what we talked about, the biggest change we made is we actually stopped focusing on revenue. This is crazy, but we focus on impact. 
most people, young people, especially we have all millennials in our office. You talk about how many dollars, how many tickets we're selling, all that revenue. It doesn't matter as much. So we focused on, we know a number that if we impact 200,000 people, they come out to our ballpark. If 50,000 people buy merchandise from our website, we know that will take care of the revenue. So, you know, for us, we still have those talks every week. We're talking about how many people can we impact the greatest impact for the greatest amount of people. That's our focus, everything. And then we know once we get that, like, you know, our waiting list, I mean, we just put another priority list on sale because the waiting list has become so big. And today we're measuring, I mean, it's, it's hundreds and getting into the thousands right away. That's what's exciting us. That's what's getting us going. And that will then for take care of the revenue. So impact yeah. first, and then the revenue takes care of itself. Yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was trying to understand. And, and I can see it now. You, you have fun, you try different things, but you also have the team focused on these key metrics, these keys, key objectives that are going to make you financially successful so that you can continue delivering this experience. A hundred percent. And I will challenge companies to, to look at it, say, stop just looking at dollars, 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 because dollars don't mean as much. And if you focus, all right, turn that around and look at people and look at how many people. When you start doing that, that motivates our people every day. Wow, wow can we impact another 1,000 people today, 2,000 people? And it's changing. And that's why I think we're, why we're selling out every game and the revenue is completely taking care of itself. What did the players think initially when you <laughs> called this thing the bananas? Did they want to play for this team? Yeah, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of question marks. There was a lot of, here's what happened. They were so like, oh, is this really our team? And they showed up that first day. <laughs> and I was, and not only that, I said, guys, not only is this the name of your team, but we're going to teach you how to dance right now. And they're like, what? I'm like, we're going to learn how to dance here. Here's our <laughs> choreographed dance instructor because we got to dance every game. And they were just blown away. And I go, guys, but um, in a few hours, we're going to have our fan fest. And that's just, you know, basically it's, you guys have practice, you know, have practice and we invite the fans if anybody wants to come and I go, you're going to see something you've never seen before. So I mm -hmm. teased, I took the guys outside and this was on a, a fan fest, literally practice. There was no game. And there were thousands of people waiting outside to mm -hmm. come watch the team practice. I go, guys, this, this is why this is going to be a different experience in the best sum of your life. And it's because of you guys. It's because of you dancing and giving roses to little girls in the game that we do every single game. They deliver roses and being out there and interacting. And I go, most ballparks will play in front of 300, 400, maybe 500 people. You're going to play in front of 4,000 people every night and your practice is going to have 1,000 people. So again, it came back to the impact. And we talked about the difference they were making. So they, at that point, they were all in. They were, what can we do? You know, whatever we will do, they want to be a part of yeah. it. And so it, yeah, it, we'll, it took- We'll hold the banana in the picture of you tell us yeah, too, and we had them in videos. I mean, we did so many videos with the players. I mean, literally, we had a practice where they were just practicing with bananas, like taking batting practice with bananas. I mean, we had dodge banana where we threw bananas at them in a part of a video. I mean, they were part of the whole experience. But what happened is they're getting seen on Facebook and on YouTube by thousands of people. So these players are now celebrities. So I think they've really embraced uh, what we're doing here. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I would love to have seen their face the first time they saw that crowd, Shock. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Shock and disbelief. I can imagine. So when I think about that and try to translate to a small business, uh, I had mentioned before we started the show that I have a self-serve frozen yogurt shop. And yeah. the way I translate it there is what I've seen, if we hire the right people and we motivate them correctly, is that when we have a full day and there's kids and families enjoying the experience and it's all good and they love the product, everybody feeds off of that, including our employees. Yeah. It's not, it's not at the level of being at a stadium in a bananas game, but, but it's, it's the same thing. And I think that's the takeaway for a small business owner listening that you can create 
that kind of excitement and buy-in in just about every business. And, and also, you know, celebrate all those small wins. And I say dose of recognition. Every day, there should be a dose of recognition where you're recognizing your people or you're recognizing a review you got online or something positive and continue to share that over and over with your people. And it becomes like this contagious drug that everyone's feeding off. So we do that every day, try to recognize our people. Yeah, that's a great point as well. So you touched on, you have a young staff, millennials, working with millennials. Um, you're a millennial yourself, I believe, right? Uh, I'm on the edge. <laughs> on the edge, right. On the edge looking in. So t- tell us about that, because a lot of us older people like myself, uh, entrepreneurs, have challenges with that. And we're always looking for better ways to motivate and encourage young people to become part of the team and contribute. And so tell us what are your insights are on that? Mm-hmm. You know, in the baseball business, sports industry as a whole, the turnover is outrageous. And I just read a statistic additionally that wasn't just the sports business, but overall, that the average person under 30 years old leaves a job every 13 months, which is Mm. just staggering. And and I think it's because their focus of the company isn't on their people. So we have had zero turnover. I mean, zero. And we're 22 to 27 years old. And we actually, even this past year, we let our own people uh, name their own salary and literally come up with their own salary. We have been able to empower our people, our young people to feel like they're a part of it and feel ownership. There's no policies on our staff. You know, you, there's, you can take time off when you want the hours and this is crazy, but what happened is you treating these people as adults. And I think it's not, they don't work for you as a leader. You work for your people. What are you doing every day to help them grow? We have a better book club here where we actually pay our people to read. And we learned that from Arnie Malham and the great book worth doing wrong. We pay our people to read. We, we ask them what their goals are every year. They put their three goals. And we talk about that. How can we help them with their goals? I think owners need to inverse and look at their business differently. And that's my whole mantra. Don't just look at literally what your people can do for you. What can you do for them? So we've changed that. So every day we're focusing. I'm, I'm walking the office. And I learned this from Walt Disney. You know, I talked about walking the park. I'm walking the office and just trying to connect with our people and be there for them. And, you know, for them, it's just knowing that we're proud of them. And I think for millennials, letting you know, letting them know that you're proud of them and the work they're doing is goes so far, you know, catch people doing things right. Don't always catch them doing things wrong. And so I've learned this from all my mentors and lessons, and it's been unbelievable. It's a family. I mean, we take our people and their spouses on cruises every year. I mean, we constantly have dinners and just connect with our people. I'm taking our people to lunch one-on-one as an owner every week. And it's just those that matters more. So it's, how are you investing your time as an owner? Are you investing your time focused on your own goals? Or are you focused on investing your time on their, uh, your people's goals? And that's kind of what we've been able to do and seeing success with it. That's fantastic. That's inspiring. I'd like to dive in a little bit more though, and, and make sure I get it, especially this concept of name your own salary. So <laughs> if I'm an, uh, what I would call an entry level employee, I've just started with the organization. I don't know what that position might entail. Maybe it's, maybe it's usher, maybe it's working at concession stands. Are you paying them uh, something above minimum wage? Are you paying them a salary that they name? Tell me a little bit more there. Yeah. So, so it's all our full-time people. So basically after their first year, um, we, they all come together and we say, Hey guys, this is your opportunity. You know, let's look at your job. Let's look at how you can name your salary and also go with the responsibilities and accountability and ownership. And the reason I did this was simple. When I was 24 years old, I was fortunate to double the revenue and I changed the whole team and the trajectory. And I worked really hard to do that. And the owner said, Jesse, we've never seen the success. You know, what do you think is fair for your salary? And I went back to the drawing board. I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. I'm 24 years old. I had that opportunity. So I started looking at like, all right, well, I did this. What if I do this? And I held myself accountable. So I went to him. I said, I think I can do this this year. So that warrants this type of dollars. And he said, oh, that's fine. And he gave me that at 24 years old. And it really changed my trajectory in life to feel like an owner 
at 24. And I thought if I can get our people to feel like owners at 23, 24, 25, that will make the biggest difference in the business. So, you know, to answer your question on the part-time staff, we have a set game salary, which is different. Again, most companies, they have an hourly wage. We have a set game salary because we don't need to go in the details, but that set game salary is definitely more than minimum wage. Mm. We keep it simple. Mm. Um, so we keep it very simple with them. And then if they've been with us for a few years, we keep up in that and increase in it. Um, you know, I look at it, I'd rather have $10,000 more in our people's pockets than me at the end of the day, because I know that'll make a bigger difference in their their life. So that's, you know, it, it, it costs us more. It costs us more to operate, but I also think we draw more revenue. And to put it into perspective, in our first five months since this name your salary for the whole staff, uh, our business is up over 150%. Yeah, it's incredible. So, Have you yeah. found yet that anybody has been... Uh, ridiculous or not reasonable in naming their salary? Or do you find that most people, that they really put the thought into it like you did when it was offered to you to name your own salary? They put a lot of thought into it, but the, here's the key where owners can get this wrong. If they don't have transparency with their staff, if they don't share you know, where the numbers are, where the revenue, where the growth is. And again, for us, this is like only a little bit that we share because we're focused so much on the impact. So we try not to talk about the dollars much, but we show the big picture of where the staff is. And so mm -hmm. they are able to look at that, understand that. And yeah, I mean, in the sports industry, people are paid very, very low. And we just didn't feel comfortable with that. So most people, they did ask for you know 20%, 25% raises. And we said yes to every single one of them. Um, and and the reality is it's worked out. It was a, it was, it was a bet. It was a, I talk in my book about taking, you know, small bets. It was a small bet for us that may in the scheme of things in one year cost us a good amount of money, but overall, I don't think, I don't think it's going to hurt us that much. So yeah. that's what we did. For, it, it's crazy. For your part-time employees, you're paying them better than other places would. It's a fun, a passion environment to be in. What else do you think uh, has helped you achieve this low to zero turnover? What else do you do for the employees that they feel like they're, they're worthy, they're taken care of, that you give them the feedback? All of those things are critical, right? Yeah, but how, how much do you know your employees? And, and that, that's so I'll give you an example. Uh, two years ago, Danny, who worked for us, he fought for a job. We didn't have this is when we were struggling. He fought, he, he worked hard, he was persistent. So we hired him. And he worked so hard that first year. He ended up working with every nonprofit, church, community group. And he ended up raising, just fundraising, over $50,000 for the community, in addition to helping us sell out almost every single game. And I knew Danny's from Cleveland, Ohio. And my wife and I were like, you know, he's a diehard Cleveland sports fan, like really just diehard, which, which is tough for him because, you know, Cleveland sports isn't the best, especially with the Browns. But he was a diehard Indians fan. Him and his dad had that one bond. And last year, when the Indians went to the World Series, my wife and I, we looked at each other like, we got to do something. So we brought the whole staff together and we, we gave, presented him with a toy airplane. And I said, Danny, this represents how far you've come with us, how far you're going and how you've taken everyone with you. And he goes, wow, thanks, man. That's pretty cool. And I go, also, Danny, it represents you're flying out to game one of the World Series tomorrow to go, wow. with, your, to go with your dad. It's going to be you and your dad. And at that moment, here was the greatest moment. You know, he, he didn't believe it. He was in shock. And we have a video of it. But the whole staff started cheering and going nuts. All everyone else, there was no jealousy. There was no envy because everyone was so happy for Danny and what we were doing. That when you create a culture like that, that everyone cares about recognizing people and certain people get, you know, certain benefits. We try to take care of them whenever we can. It's those moments that matter most. So we know our people. We know how much the Indians matter to them. You know, we know different things about, you know, different, everyone's favorite restaurant. You know, I asked the question, if you could eat at one restaurant for the rest of your life, you know, what would it be? And you could have it for free. And we know that. So we're able to really take experiences and get to know their spouses. You know, we send thank yous to their spouses and significant others. And I don't think we're doing anything crazy. This is just learning 
Um, and you're going to ask me later what my favorite book is. I know in all your how-to. And, <laughs> and I'm jumping to that. It's, it's Everybody Matters by Bob Chapman. And he talks about how he created this with a billion-dollar company about just caring for your people like they're your own kids. And I've read that in so many books about that and recognition. And you know that's the game changer in business. I, I'm in a yellow tux, and I could talk about being different, crazy, and standing out. But care for your people, and everything else takes care of itself. Right. And in our small businesses, we can do that. We, we should be able to know everybody and know about them, right? There's no excuse there. But we have to want to do that. And I think if we're, if we're maybe that's not us, we, we need to find the right people to work with us or partner with to accomplish that. I've always, though, struggled sometimes with trying not to cross over a line between employee-employer relationship and and friends, what do you buy that? Do you believe there is no such line? Tell me about your thoughts there. I understand that a lot of people feel like there is a line, um, but you know I don't think companies like to talk about the word love either. And we talk about love and we talk about family. And I don't even do it as much our, our people do. They say this is a family. I mean, it's crazy when we interview someone. Everyone on our staff interviews them. They spend the entire day with everyone. And that's, I mean, we're at 15 people, so we're not a huge business, but sure. from a small business. Because if someone joins us, they're joining the family. So, you know, the reality is uh, I'm not worried about crossing lines. I mean, obviously, you know, in the sense you got to be, you know, be careful, but we're, we're friends. We enjoy each other's company. What, what I love more than anything and seeing millennials send us Snapchats on a Saturday and the whole group is out together singing karaoke or they're at the dueling piano bar. Like, I love that because I know how much fun they're having together. And that's when you come in Monday, Monday morning in the office, it doesn't feel like you're coming into work. You're coming to hang out with your friends. So I don't think that's a bad line. But again, we started with all people, 22, 23, 24. So we started, this is their, all their first job. We built this. And I think it's, it's tough to make that transition when you have people that are used to other environments. It's a real change. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. No, but I love that. That's, that's great. I mean, that's why you have the culture that you have been able to achieve that. That's fantastic. All right. The podcast, what led you to start the podcast and who is it for? Uh, yes, the podcast, Business Done Differently. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, when you start a podcast, you always hope to make an impact. For me, I realized I just wanted to continue to learn and look at people and that are successful and see how they're doing things differently. And it's it's really taken off. It's been interesting because it's like a game show. I ask, <laughs> you know, fun questions. I have people even singing on the show. I mean, it's it's it's, it's like we do at our ballpark. It's a circus and, and a, a business show breaks out. Um, but the reality is, uh, for me, it's been great because I ask about service questions, which I care about. I ask about culture. And uh, but really, I just want to see how people look at business differently. And even if they're not, I want to try to hopefully get them to think about business differently because that's what I believe is successful. So uh, enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I'm going to keep rolling with it and rocking and rolling with it, but uh, that's that's why I do it. Yeah, it's a great show. I enjoy it as well. All right. Summarize for us. We talked about the book, the podcast, you do speaking engagements. Well, what else? How else do you offer your services and your knowledge with other small business owners and, and large corporations as well? You know, the one focus I think I try to have in, in a great word, a uh, great book called The One Word by John Gordon. Uh, he talks about how New Year's resolutions fail. And I guess this is a good time for this. Almost all New Year's resolutions fail. But he talks about how everyone should have one word that they focus on for the year. And we started putting that in our culture. Just focus on one word and hold yourself accountable to that. And so for me, this year, my word is inspire. So I keep it very simple. You know, to inspire, you need to live in, an inspirational life. You need to be focused on others. And you need to share your story. So for me, what I'm doing is Every day, if I can share it on a show, if I can share with our people, if I can be out speaking and inspire, then I'm saying true to my word and it keeps it very easy to stay focused. So, um, you know, people can go to findyouryellowtux.com. I'm constantly posting things, hopefully to inspire people to think differently and stand out. And uh, obviously the book, Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. 
So inspiring other people, your team, other people that you come in contact with is a big focus for you. What what else do you love about what you do today? <laughs> you know, I, I love the mornings. I'm a big person, a uh, big fan of Miracle Morning and by Hal Elrod. You know, I get up and I, every morning I read, I run and I write and I do a thank you letter. And I just, I get fired up to start the day because I start with a routine, which is focused on others and focused on learning and getting better. So that fires me up. So when I come to work, my staff, it's funny. They're like, here comes Jesse. Cause I come in just high-fiving everybody, you know, let's get it started. Uh, so, you know, that, that gets me excited. And when I'm on a stage, the opportunity to really speak with groups, I love getting on a stage, speaking, sharing our story, you know, throwing out underwear in the crowd and having fun as well. So uh, that's, that, that's, that's my thing. And we'll, we'll see where we go with that. Yeah. Uh, and we've touched on this, but in the book, you talk about finding joy and success in everything you do. And I had asked you earlier, if that's always been your personality, is that something you had to learn? And where did that come from for you? You know, I think as an only child, I was always, like I said, trying to stand out. But but for me, and I think everybody that has some success, you have challenges in, of self-doubt. And sometimes you question yourself. And not every day is perfect. And I'm, I go through all that as well. And but, you know, when I realize when there's self-doubt and there's challenges and I, you know, I feel limitations in what I'm doing, it's because I start focusing more on myself and not focused on others. So, you know, every day I try to literally bring joy by focusing on others. And once I do that, it's a game changer. You know, it, stop worrying about what people think. You know, people are in their own world. They're thinking about themselves most of the time. Just do what you believe in. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And, and I still have to, ch- it's still a challenge for me, Henry. I think anybody, you know, when they're putting themselves out there every day, like I am crazily in a yellow tuxedo, I I mean, when I go to the airport, I'm going to give a speech, TSA, and everyone looks at me like, what is this guy in a yellow tuxedo? I get checked by so many TSA members <laughs> wondering what's going on with this. Uh, so it's very easy to uh, potentially question what you're doing. But I just laugh. So you you wear the yellow tuxedo when you're traveling? Is that what you're telling oh, us? If I'm going to give a speech, oh, yeah, you better believe it. So I was giving a speech in Phoenix, and I, I got picked up from the airport. and I had to give a speech within the hour. I'm, I'm, I'm in it rocking and rolling. Oh, yeah, it's bizarre. You should see the looks I get, Henry. It's It's wild. <laughs> Does your wife like draw a line like we don't go to dinner with the yellow tux or does she have any limitations or rules on that? Yeah, you know, I, I try to. It's it's like my uniform. So Monday through Friday, I'm wearing it and I'm rocking. But on Saturday and Sunday, I try to be with the family. Are your parents still with us? Uh, yes, yes, yes. And, and what do they think about all this? <laughs> you know, it's great. Uh, and I say this in what I care so much about is I always want to make my dad proud. And, you know, my parents were divorced and I live with my dad and he brought me up, you know, I want to make him proud. And so that's what I try to think about with our people. You know, I try to tell them that I'm proud of them. So he is, uh, he's told me he's unbelievably proud of what we're doing and what we're accomplishing. And he's a part of the journey. He travels, lives in Boston and he and uh, my amazing uh, stepmother, Diane, they travel down here, watch the games, wear the bananas gear and are huge fans of what we're doing. So I'm very lucky in what I have. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right, you've given us great books, book recommendations. Uh, Everybody Matters, Miracle Morning, The One Word, and of course, your book. Uh, we'll have links to all of those on the show notes page for this episode at thehowabusiness.com. So be sure to check those out. So we'll wrap it up here now, Jesse. Uh, what's one thing, one or two things that you want us to take away from this conversation? Be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. That's been the game changer for me. Love that. 
Where would you like us to go online to find out more about you, about the book, about the uh, baseball teams? Uh, findyouryellowtux.com. I'm actually uh, giving away a free chapter from the book. And you can also see us on MSNBC, see some videos of all the craziness we're doing. But findyouryellowtux.com. And uh, I love to engage. I think a big thing, I think so many people are afraid to ask questions. Uh, reach out to me, LinkedIn, you know, or Facebook, you know, just reach out to me if I can help in any way. I love doing that. Love hopefully inspiring you to think differently. And if you're anywhere in the area of the two teams, we'll try to get a ticket if you can, but uh, check it out. It's a lot. Definitely. I'm going to try to do the same when I'm in that area next. Um, well, well, great, Jesse. This has been a fun, uh, engaging, very entertaining, but also a lot of huge takeaways. I know for myself on how to apply these things that you're doing so successfully to my small businesses. So thanks for taking the time to be with me today and for sharing. Thank you for what you're doing to help entrepreneurs and, and keep standing out, Henry. I appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest again was Jesse Cole. And we release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website at thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.